everybody, it's your old friend John Luna with another RFC minicast. This week I'm joined by author, famed author, Bill Ray. Bill, what's going on, man? How are you doing? I'm doing good, John. I, I am uh, uh, here uh, enjoying the lovely Virginia humidity and uh, <laughs> excited to talk about Transformers for a bit. Mm, me too. Um, yes, it is, I presumably... Very humid up there and down here in Texas, it's just like a, it's a skillet because it's uh, it's late August. Uh, winter is but a dream. And uh, it's actually August, uh, what is this, 29th, the, ninth, the night we're recording this, which is um, yeah. two days from uh, the debut of Transformers Cyberverse on the Cartoon Network app and website. It debuted uh, a couple days ago this week. And it's going to debut this Saturday on television, if you remember what that is, um, in <laughs> the early hours of the morning, because it's not uh, a property completely owned by Cartoon Network. So they get the time slot that they, uh, that they are blessed with. Um, Bill, you and I have both watched the first two 11-minute episodes, which were chopped up uh, into five and a half-ish minute mini episodes on the app and on the uh, Cartoon Network store. Um, right. I think we both have thoughts. Uh, so what I what I think we'll do is here, let me lay some groundwork for the listeners. If you aren't completely familiar with Transformers Cyberverse, it's the upcoming kind of mainstream show for Transformers. It's going to be like the core cartoon show. There's also going to be uh, a reboot of Rescue Bots, which is geared towards preschoolers, but uh, Transformer Cyberverse is uh, considered the one for kids to adults. It's kind of like the core show. It's a computer animated show, and it was developed by Boulder Media Studio. Uh, like we said, it debuted, uh, put this in the uh, time capsule, it debuted on Cartoon Network's app and website on August 27th, 2018. It's going to debut on television the uh, following weekend. So, Bill, this does follow the trend of 11-minute episodes. 22-minute uh, episodes Episodes are apparently gone the way of the dodo. And I looked up online if there were any kind of like official reasons for the shift over the last few years to 11-minute episodes. Uh-huh. And uh, the, the one that popped up repeatedly was uh, not necessarily additional uh, commercial time uh, that apparently kind of like times out pretty close to what it used to. But uh, 11 minute episodes do allow the storytellers to tell a complete story without getting broken up with that commercial break in the middle of the 30 minutes. So uh, that but is that, interesting. That is interesting that you say that because one of the things I was going to observe about the before many episodes is that they, they really did feel very broken up like the the end of the fourth mm -hmm. one is is kind of a cliffhanger and in each of the uh, each of the episodes was was definitely like a, a shorter part of, of an overall story uh so I, I i'm not sure it really felt that <laughs> right <laughs> a complete arc. yeah when, yeah when, when they're unnaturally broken up yes it's uh it's hard to buy into that theory um so We'll get into the first two episodes. So effectively, yes, they took the first two episodes for the app and the website and they cut them in half into four like mini episodes. But really what we're talking about is the first two 11 minute episodes. The first one, 
Episode one is called uh, titled Fractured, and episode two is titled Memory. And one of the things that's interesting about Cyberverse is the seasons are called chapters. Uh, so chapter one is effectively season one, and it's going to run for about 18 episodes. And the second chapter is slated for sometime next year, 2019. Um, and the series, uh, at, at least for now, chapter one for the most part, it's uh, a focus on Bumblebee and Windblade. And Bumblebee um, has amnesia, which we'll get into. And uh, the crux or the kind of the motivation for the chapter is Windblade helping Bumblebee remember his memories, recapture his memory, memories while the Decepticons chase them and such. Hilarity ensues. So, uh, Bill, first, before we get into the first two episodes, Fractured and Memory, I, I want to ask you, uh, what were your first impressions like of the visuals, of the art direction? I mean, how did Cyberverse kind of like look and feel uh, in those opening moments when you started watching the show? Well, the art style is an interesting uh, approach. It, it, it's it's a three D models, but they don't they don't have the same kind of. I don't know if it's outlining. I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a writer, not a graphics person, but <laughs> but uh, they they don't have the same sort of. Uh, I, I think it's line line shading or something that that keeps them so they they like the colors end and there's not like a divider between that and the next color mm -hmm. if that makes any sense yeah uh and uh it, i don't think it does bumblebee many favors but uh uh it, it's an interesting and a very different look from what we saw with uh robots in disguise and, and some of those others uh the backgrounds are very sparse uh, I, I think the trade-off is is going to be that we see more uh, action, more physical action with the with the characters, and, mm -hmm. and certainly they 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 seem to run around and tackle each other and and, and uh, transform a lot more than we would normally see them do in you know little five-minute segments. Because each of those four or five and a half-minute segments that we saw, each one of those four had them. Uh, doing a lot of sort of kinetic action. Uh, and I think that's probably going to be what they're going for with the new style. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see that the, uh, how that plays out. Uh, in terms of the, the aesthetic of the characters, uh, for me, I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm yet feeling the, they're, they're very like round faces and, and uh, uh, they seem much more, uh, much more similar to stuff aimed at a younger audience, that kind of very kid-friendly, round mm -hmm. look. Big um, eyes. Yeah. yeah very yeah. expressive. And, and, and they are. They are. Uh, and so I'm not sure whether... Again, you know, the my, my first impression of Transformers Animated was that it looked crazy. Uh, and <laughs> I was not sure I was going to be into that at all, and I ended up loving it once mm -hmm. I'd seen enough of it in action to really appreciate what, what they were doing with it. Um, and so, you know, it, it's kind of early to say, but uh, I mean, we, we, we don't even have a full half hour of material yet to judge it by, <laughs> but um, it, it certainly, it, to me, it, it definitely feels like it, it skews much younger in terms of how it feels. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense the, stylistically. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. And I think the, um, the only thing that I'm going to really have to kind of get used to is if... Um, 
so so visually, one thing I do have to get used to a little bit is I'm not sure if I love Bumblebee having such big eyes without pupils. Um, it's and and Windblade's a little bit like that too. Um, just to kind of draw a parallel between a show that's also really popular with, I think, the audience they're going for, which would be a Teen Titans Go, is mm-hmm. that um, there's a mix of characters that uh, intentionally don't have pupils. They're either wearing a mask or um, they're they're not completely human. Uh, and there's a, there's also a mix of plenty of other characters that have normal eyes, so to speak. And I, th- I think the eyes are a good way to connect with your audience and I know these are robots but they, they're they're also anthropomorphic robots so uh, you know uh, I, I don't know I, I think um, I think kind of the lack of of, 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 a, of fully formed eyes just it just makes it more challenging for them to be like completely ex- expressive and to, to connect completely with them you don't know exactly mm. what they're looking at um, it's an interesting um, design choice especially on your main character because um, I, I, th- I do think the pupils uh, can be one extra thing that you can play with as far as like expression and stuff. But um, yeah. I, 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 I do think that the kind of like light line work that they're going for, it kind of does give it a, a, a painted look um, and it kind of gives it a flatness, which uh, I'm fine with. Uh, I do like the vibrant colors that, the, that they've used so far. It kind of has an oversaturated look to, yeah, it uh, does. to the characters. And I do like that. Uh, contrast uh, when compared to something like Prime, which had its moments, I guess, with with some colors and lighting, but for the most part, felt like it was um, uh, dark and uh, kind of dank. So, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate I appreciate the vividness, um, and I I can only hope that yeah, it's more it's it's more action oriented oriented through the um, through the whole chapter. Uh, because yeah, these first two episodes had uh, quite a bit of action. Uh, so uh, so let's get into. I did, I did actually find it one other thing I wanted to comment on. I found it interesting that the uh, characters' configurations changed a lot during the course of the episode. So like, mm-hmm. Windblade had wings that would stick out, and then sometimes they would fold in on her back. And yeah. Would, they uh, they had a lot of Bumblebee had a bunch of different little panels on his arms that would move around as he did stuff. So I mean, it's it's not a it, it seems very streamlined most of the time, but there's a lot of little detail work to it. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Yeah, I, I think there's there's certainly um, there's a depth to it that that maybe isn't obvious at first, and as we get some more character models going, uh, they get more comfortable with it. And, uh, we'll maybe see more of that kind of like stuff. Um, the, the like that second layer of animation and detail and stuff really kind of start to come out. Um, right. So okay, episode one, fractured. Uh, it opens with Bumblebee kind of going through uh, or going for a joyride, um, and he comes in car mode, and so he's speeding along. And these are evergreen designs for the most part. So um, all these characters are kind of kind of like a blend of previous versions of themselves in in the uh, evergreen uh, art direction that uh, Hasbro is kind of pushing right now. So so Bumblebee is, is kind of a mix of G1 and Movieverse and uh, and his and original things and so but he's a yellow sports car so he's he's going for a joyride. He he sees a a chasm, a ravine. He gets the bright idea to jump over it. And uh, kind of in mid-flight, he gets a communication, which is kind of like a vision from Windblade. 
which uh, distracts him, and he uh, doesn't make it across the ravine, the chasm. Uh, he grabs onto just like the, the, the leading edge of the opposite side of it, um, almost makes it over, but ends up falling, only to be rescued, of course, by Windblade, who swoops down and uh, grabs Bumblebee, Bumblebee in mid-fall and rescues him. And uh, they're reunited, and after um, they are safely back on the ground, uh, Windblade uh, asks Bumblebee, you know, what he's doing here uh, on Earth, and Bumblebee asks her the same question, and at this point, Bill, uh, it's kind of confirmed uh, when you're watching the story that uh, this is a yet another version of Bumblebee who cannot talk. He talks in sound bites and uh, beeps and boops. Uh, right. So what? And what's interesting about this take on that is effectively it's the same uh, voice actor from Bumblebee uh, trying to do or doing uh, representations of sound bites and clips from radio shows and um, cliches and things like that, and trying to yeah. kind of reenact kind of patchwork sound bites. But it's the same voice actor. What? what what's your impression of? of this take on Bumblebee and how the, the voice actor Jeremy Levy is uh, pulling it off. Well, you know, uh, that, that's exactly what Eric Idle did in the, uh, with the Junkions mm -hmm. in the, the, the movie that started that, that whole talking with sound clips thing in Transformers. Um, I, if you're going to do it, I, I think that's kind of how you have to do it uh, from a, a practical standpoint. You, you couldn't really have Bumblebee, talk in actual clips, the cost would be enormous. And you couldn't have a bunch of different actors jump in with different sound clips because, again, the cost would be enormous. You have to pay them for each different role they play. So it would, you know, <laughs> it would quickly become cost prohibitive. Um, so uh, the, the uh, I, you know, I, I think if they're going to do that, and it seems like they're really trying to make that Bumblebee's thing, uh, they, they've uh, you know made a few different stabs at it over over you know since since the movie came out in 2007. So uh, if you're going to do it, that's the way you have to do it. I I, I think he did okay. Uh, it, it was uh, certainly when you're listening for it, you can notice it's the same guy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he you know he spoke in different accents and, <laughs> and did different little voices and things. And I I, I think uh, it, it worked well enough. It, it fit what we were looking at. Um, you know, they, they interspersed it with the occasional just, you know, beeping and, you know, robot noises. And, uh, so I, for me, I, I, I thought, I thought it was an effective way to accomplish that, that sort of character objective. Um, but it, you, it almost felt like the writers were getting kind of annoyed with it because then later yeah. they go into Bumblebee's head and, and he's just talking normally, yes. <laughs> he, he has, so. which felt like a relief for me as much as the writers. Yeah. So one thing that I did notice too, and I'm glad you brought up the writing. I, and I thought this when I was watching uh, the episodes and kind of like bearing, like being a witness to this um, interpretation of Bumblebee, uh, you know, I thought to myself how hard this is from a writing standpoint and like, mm -hmm. like long-term, this is way harder to write. Um, versus Bumblebee just speaking his mind and just communicating clearly and straightforward because because uh, they, they don't have access obviously to actual um, 
trademarked material, copyrighted uh, sound clips and things like that, or, or, or even like being able to like just outright quote uh, famous sayings and things like that. They, they have to kind of dance around that and, and write versions of, of things that sound familiar, but are also kind of like, oh, that's not Bumblebee talking. He's pulling that from somewhere. That's really hard, I imagine, to, to, to write to, um, especially over the course of probably, we're, you know, we're going to guess like, you know, maybe 40 episodes of this minimum. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we'll, we'll see if they, if they write a solution into this sooner than later. Um, so continuing with the story. So uh, Windblade uh, has a little bit of exposition. She explains like, kind of like where we're at and why she's on Earth. Uh, so she explains that after Optimus and his team left in search of the Allspark, that she and other Autobots stayed on Cybertron to continue fighting. Uh, against Decepticons, but the Decepticons figured out that the Allspark was, of course, on Earth and headed there with uh, their Decepticon fleet. So Windblade tried to contact Optimus Prime, and when she couldn't get a hold of anybody, uh, she uh, crossed the space bridge with the help of Perceptor, uh, who looked very IDW-y in his design. Uh, his evergreen design, very much inspired by IDW. So Windblade went through the space bridge to get to Earth, and after she crossed the space bridge, the space bridge exploded. So there's no and there was no explanation, back. no explanation for why the space bridge was on Earth in the first place. No, um, maybe maybe we'll get an answer to that. But yes, uh, good call, Bill. Good call. So anyway, she <laughs> she searched fruitlessly. Uh, for the uh, for the Allspark and Bumblebee, uh, and uh, so here we are. So after a series of uh, kind of like a little bit of back and forth between Bumblebee and Windblade, yes, Wind Windblade uh, realizes that Bumblebee has lost his memories uh, just in time for a seeker to show up. Um, so Bill, we get our first action sequence. Um, I say a seeker because what's interesting is so this blue seeker shows up, uh, attacks Windblade, uh, at least for some length of time, gets in a few chops into Windblade, and it's kind of only towards the end of their um, tussle that Windblade refers to him as Thundercracker. It was interesting that she didn't she didn't call him by name until they were effectively done fighting, but yes, Thundercracker Thundercracker shows up. We get our first full on appearance of a Decepticon. Uh, so, Bill, is, uh, what do you think about Thundercracker? In this, in this series, Thundercracker gets the honors of really being the first Decepticon to, to show up and make his presence known. Um, should we read into that? Should we expect Thundercracker to be uh, a bigger player in the series? Or do you think it's, it, they are just kind of throwing a hook instead of a Starscream or a Megatron? Really, the first, the first, the first Decepticon in action we see is Thundercracker. Well, you know, he actually does get a voice. Uh, I, I think from the early clip, people saw, you know, he, he was just, you know, being punched at and didn't really make any noise. But he does later on get a speaking part, which uh, I, I take as an indication that he'll at least be around. Uh, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how, how prominent he will be. Uh, w- w- one thing I thought was was interesting is unlike uh the transformers animated and 
and, and to a lesser extent Prime, mm-hmm. uh, Transformers Prime, where the Decepticons were much heavier than the Autobots. Like you, you mm-hmm. had in those in both those settings, the Decepticons, the individual Decepticon was a, a serious menace compared to the individual Autobot. Um, and in this particular case, you didn't really get that same sense. Mm. Like you didn't, it didn't feel like Windblade was being mostly overpowered. Uh, it, it, you know, it, it just felt like they were more or less fighting on the same level. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that may indicate that they'll have uh, more Seekers, more Decepticons. Uh, uh, certainly, it, it seems like they could uh, with just some simple palette swaps. <laughs> throw in all sorts of colors on on the different seekers and and have them as as background elements and you know when they needed to to raise the stakes on these things but it it certainly did not feel like the 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 Autobots were outgunned as we've seen in some of the the series past. I uh, I liked this sequence. I thought it was. Um... It was a good kind of introduction to the type of action that we're going to get. So under uh, mm-hmm. Thundercracker uh, gets the advantage with a, a sneak attack, a sucker punch, basically a sucker kick on Windblade. Uh, and he even uh, gets control of her sword, which I thought was a nice twist uh, in the fight. And yeah, uh, almost takes out Windblade and Bumblebee using her weapon. So that's something different with that we don't always see. Um of course he doesn't he gets eventually he gets incapacitated by bumblebee's stinger attack and even though thundercracker breaks free windblade blows him off the cliff the ravine uh to uh to his uh i i guess i assume fall we hear him hit the ground even though thundercracker can transform into a jet i guess he was uh, yeah. <laughs> he was he, he was um he was caught off. He was off his game a little bit today. So, uh, yes, he got blown off a cliff, uh, crashed to the uh, the floor below. Uh, but we're not done with him. He'll be back. Well, um, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of uh, when I was watching it. But do, do we see any of them fly without uh, a flying vehicle mode? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, you know, and I, I, it's something I, I, I think... Uh, you know, has always been one of those interesting balances in, in uh, Transformers fiction that frequently the Decepticons just, you know, can fly. Right. And that's just a thing they do. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and you know, no one ever questions that they can do it when they're not shaped like jets. <laughs> right. And I, yeah, so I wonder, because I, I, I was, I, you know, when you were talking about him being kicked off the cliff, maybe he, he can't. You know, he has to change shape before he can actually take off. Uh, that, that may be something, some direction they go with this. I'm not. It's. I, I certainly there wasn't anything in these episodes <laughs> that I, I can recall that contradicted that. So maybe they they don't just fly. Maybe they have to be jets. That is some serious fan canon already. We're like we're like four <laughs> minutes in and we're we're already kind of like, uh, explaining. Uh, cl- tying those uh, loopholes, just kind of closing those loopholes. So yeah, the Autobots have their chance now to, uh, to head to a safe place. They do. Um, they find uh, cover near a mine entrance, which apparently Windblade has no idea what a mine is. She calls it a hole in the ground. So I, I presumably she is she is she is fresh 
uh, from Cybertron. She has, uh, I guess, no idea what uh, what human man-made construction uh, looks like or, or what these things are, but she calls it a hole in the ground. She warns Bumblebee not to go in said hole in the ground. And so, um, so begins her explanation that she needs to use uh, a cortical psychic patch to help Bumblebee recover his memories. This is a direct tie-in from uh, Transformers Prime where the same thing, a patch that looks just like this one in the show in Cyberverse was used in Prime. So that's an interesting um, reference. Uh, and uh, if you're asking yourself, what does a cortical psychic patch look like? It looks like a garden hose, basically. <laughs> uh, so the, the two um, uh, connect through the backs of their or necks, the base of their necks. A little disturbing, Bill. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and uh, uh, Windblade jacks in, uh, basically, Johnny Mnemonic style, into Bumblebee's mind. Where, like you said, Bill, apparently within Bumblebee's own mind, he can talk. So this is effectively going to be the, uh, the way the chapter, the season, kind of moves forward, uh, presumably, as Windblade... Uh, uh, finding her opportunities to jack into Bumblebee, recover a memory, a, a lost memory, a locked memory. And that uh, little bit of story uh, is the centerpiece, presumably for most of these episodes. Um, so the first time that she kind of enters Bumblebee's mind, uh, she encounters, uh, Windblade encounters Megatron kind of looming over her. And uh, this causes her great pain and stress, and she gives off she gives off what looks like an EMP, uh, basically a pulse of energy, and both of the Autobots collapse. And of course, this energy kind of uh, disperses across the uh, the desert landscape, and at the same time, we see Thundercracker and Nova Storm uh, flying about, and that is the cliffhanger uh, ending to the first episode, Fractured. So, Bill, at this point, you're one, you're one episode in. Um, are you in after this, uh, after this bit of story? Have, have they grabbed you yet? Honestly, not so much. Uh, the, 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 so far, the, 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 I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like much has happened to me. Mm -hmm. uh, like, they, they've... The, the, the tension hasn't ratcheted up very much. Like, I, I feel like there's Decepticons coming, but it's they don't seem that menacing. Mm -hmm. We saw them, That's you true. know, handily dispatch Thundercracker earlier. Yeah. Now there's, you know, an extra Decepticon coming. Okay, that's a little tougher, but it doesn't feel super dangerous. Uh, but, you know, at least the, the little glimpses of, of Megatron and, and his memories, uh, you know, some of the other little you know, there are little background elements of, of uh, landscape and a few other things kind of mm -hmm. floating in the background as, as they're exploring Bumblebee's memories. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I uh, To me, I, I felt like uh, some of the earlier uh, like earlier series, there was there was more of a, okay, here's the AllSpark. The AllSpark does big things. That's where it is. We're chasing it now. Whereas this is sort of a step removed. We know the AllSpark is maybe there. We know there's a lot of things that we know maybe might be happening, but we have so little concrete information about the setting and about the characters that it, it feels uh, a lot less engaging to me than some of their earlier debuts. Uh, but again, we're only like 
10 minutes in <laughs> by the end of the yes. second episode. Yes, this so. is this is the downside to 11-minute right. episodes. It's yeah, it's really it's it's really hard <laughs> to to grab anything. Good point though on the Decepticons in the first in the first 11 minutes of Cyberverse. The Decepticons they aren't doing anything uh threatening per se they're doing they're effectively doing like survey work uh you know yeah. i mean i mean they're just kind of like checking out the desert so yeah there's no there's no they haven't done anything uh, evil or nefarious or or even uh it's not even really suggested that they've done anything necessarily violent so yeah it, it is an interesting other than i mean other than uh, one of them attacking uh, windblade uh and getting defeated uh, uh eventually yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting way to introduce the decepticons it's a much softer way um like you said and i agree you know they may be going for a little bit younger audience they may be going for a little bit of a softer tone it may be it may be one of those things where this this shows more about the autobots figuring out things versus autobots and decepticons fighting um, yeah. So you know the it, it's not so important that they introduce the Decepticons as scary. Um, they're just kind of foibles to add some kind of urgency to what the Autobots are doing, basically. So let's move on. Episode two, memory. Uh, again, this was chopped up into two two segments on the uh, Cartoon Network app and uh, website, but it's really just another eleven minute episode, and it continues immediately after the first episode, fractured. So that EMP pulse uh, that uh, that Windblade gave off when she had that vision of Megatron inside of Bumblebee's mind, uh, that uh, blasted across the desert. And in the process, it knocked uh, over Thundercracker and uh, Nova Storm. Nova Storm being a new female seeker. So that's cool. We're definitely seeing more female characters in Cyberverse uh, already. Uh, so they uh, obviously are alarmed that they've been apparently attacked and that Autobots must be on Earth. So Nova Storm quickly contacts her captain and the two of them set off to check out uh, who let off this blast. And not far away, both Windblade and Bubblebee wake up and Bubblebee is also understandably freaked out because Windblade has just knocked them both out. So he, he doesn't trust Windblade so much anymore. And overhead, uh, the two Decepticon Seekers, uh, here they come. So Windblade takes to the skies and she has a dogfight with Nova Storm, uh, while Bumblebee and uh, Thundercracker go at it again. Uh, but uh, for whatever reason, Bill, they don't explain this, I don't think, right? The, the second time Bumblebee and Thundercracker fight, Bumblebee's stinger does not work. Uh, yeah, he well, he starts jostling with his arm trying to activate it, and it, it seems like he just doesn't quite know how to do it, how he did it last time. The he, first time he, was like on instinct, I guess, right? Right, and this time he... Because uh, he, you know, holds his arm up and it kind of the parts move around on his arm, which is one of those things I was saying earlier. Like it's the models have a lot of little detail elements to it, and mm -hmm. so he's got these different panels on his arm that kind of extend and and you know move around, but they don't, you know, produce the electric stinger. And yeah, so he he proceeds to uh, get get knocked around by Thundercracker <laughs> with because he doesn't have the stinger. Thundercracker so. gets his uh, his chops in finally. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, his his sweet revenge. Uh, so Windblade 
sees this or she you know she's aware that Bumblebee can't uh, can't get his stinger to to work per se so she orders him to retreat to that um, hole in the ground the mine shaft so um, Windblade effectively uh, has a, she comes to the rescue again Windblade in the first two episodes is really portrayed as uh, quite the fighter she can handle uh, quite a bit. She also has interest, an interesting arsenal of weapons. A lot of them kind of center around her turbines. So mm-hmm. Bumblebee retreats to the mine shaft and effectively uh, Windblade defeats the two seekers by she uh, by baiting them uh, near the uh, near the mine shaft to, to approach her, to come at her. And she baits them to get close enough where she can use her turbines to uh, uh, she uses them effectively as kind of buzz saws. They detach from her wings and they fly up to some overhanging rock and they um, saw through the rock and the rock uh, collapses on the seekers kind of trapping or incapacitating the seekers. And then the uh, turbines uh, fly back to Windblade's wings and reattach to them. Uh, in the first episode, those same turbines, she used them kind of as a sonic attack to knock uh, Thundercracker off the uh, cliff uh, was it Sonic or Wind? I, well, I, I guess it. I guess that. it was Wind, uh, or or it, uh, it could be either one. But Wind, Wind is probably more likely. Uh, more likely. But I guess what's interesting is like the, effectively the same parts of her uh, are two, all, two completely different weapons in two episodes. It's it's interesting. I'm not judging, but uh, <laughs> it, it is interesting that that um, that in the first two episodes, uh, Windblade has effectively she has whatever weapon we need her to have to get out of mm-hmm. the scene. So, uh, so when Blade comes to the rescue again with, uh, with superpower number two and uh, the, uh, the, with the Decepticons kind of underneath all that rubble, uh, when Blade has another idea, uh, she realizes, well, if there are Decepticons around us, then surely they have a starship too. Uh, so Bill, this is, this is one where I kind of laughed a little bit. So, uh, so Windblade has this bright idea, like where 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 there are Decepticons, there is a starship. Two seconds later, they find the starship. Yeah, it, it's almost like a smash cut, <laughs> like where the starship <laughs> is. Sure, we've got eleven minutes. We gotta we gotta move it. Um, so the starship is interesting. So yes, they magically immediately find the starship. This is the Seeker starship. Um, and I always like in the Transformers universe when we when we kind of come across their kind of big transport vehicles and, and how yeah and you know that that Transformers don't just kind of fly about the universe like uh, like insects like they have these big transport uh, vehicles and they have infrastructure and all that stuff. So um, the the design of the Seeker Starship is interesting. Um, it's low on detail, but it's got some cool lines and it's kind of evocative of, 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 of transformer design in general, but uh, it's interesting and it's cool. Any thoughts on the seeker starship itself? I, I thought it looked pretty cool. I liked the, uh, that it was that, you know, sort of Decepticon purple sort of color, uh, maybe a little pinker than the, the Decepticon logo usually is, but, but it had that that's kind of uh, purple red, sort of look to it mm-hmm. uh and i liked the the swept wings uh i i thought it was pretty cool looking uh it, it certainly did not seem 
when they were approaching it from the outside, from the outside, it did not seem as big as it seemed when they went inside it. Mm, uh, fair <laughs> enough. Although, you know, I, I've said the same thing about you know actual vehicles. So you know that that's uh, <laughs> that's not necessarily a judgment on their the accuracy of their scale. Um, but uh, no, it was it was uh, I like it. I I thought it was a cool cool design. It'll be interesting to see how much they use those those kind of spaceship designs whether they uh bring in you know even bigger ships uh i always like that when they uh you see that aesthetic mirrored across like different scales yeah uh, yeah if the if the decepticons kind of have a uh, a look or an art direction to their vehicles yeah. and the autobots have something different yeah, I look forward to that. Uh, this also, I mean, this is also a universe where uh, clearly, the, you know, they reference um, there is an arc out there, and and the arc is um, it's based on the G one arc, of course, but uh, but that's already kind of a a, a bit of a contrast in in styles uh, yeah. of spaceships. So so Windblade kind of explains like why they have come to the spaceship. She wants to use the spaceship systems to kind of supercharge the uh the cortical patch so she can um get back into bumblebee's brain with a little bit of extra juice and while she's explaining her plan uh oh that old scamp bumblebee that old trope uh before she you know has time to tell bumblebee to not jump into the fray he jumps into the fray he uh, runs into hastily runs into the uh the ship windblade follows and uh, Bumblebee is already inside playing around with the ship's control uh, controls, um, kind of doing uh, a hack job into the uh, into the ship. Mm-hmm. So Windblade uh, sets up another uh, chance to un uh, kind of uh, you know unlock Bumblebee's memories, and she discloses at this time once she's back into Bumblebee's mind that she is a city speaker and that she has skills to to kind of guide Bumblebee through this, um, this process uh, of kind of unlocking his memories. And she says that uh, she um, can communicate with entities far greater than can be comprehended. So that's an interesting nugget, uh, most definitely for future episodes. It's obviously a tie back to the IDW um, continuity. Um, I mean, I'm excited, uh, Bill, if this is, if this is like a, if this is a nugget and we're going to see Titans at some point, that's enough. That's a little bit of world building. So I appreciated that. Yeah. Well, and that, uh, like we're saying that, that art style being, uh, very dynamic, uh, seems like something that could work really well with, uh, uh, and particularly with the backgrounds typically being a little more, uh, sparse. Mm-hmm. It seems like something that could tie into, animations that show things on that scale which could be pretty exciting um so you know it, it, that uh, certainly made me hopeful for what they they might have in store uh for all that and honestly the the versions of windblade that we've had so far we had the 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 transformers prime version the the aligned continuity windblade who was uh you know sort of a commando you know tough chick she you know she had you know all her weapon caches and she was the 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 sort of martial expert 
uh, and then IDW's take, which was almost the exact opposite of that, where she was the, uh, you know, an ambassador of sorts. Uh, uh, a city speaker was more, her, her job was to, to interact and to communicate and to, to share information. Um, and, and so it's, it's interesting to see those two totally different takes on the same character, you know, sort of synthesized into this, this new version. Uh, hopefully that gets sort of the best of, of both worlds from that. So while she's inside his, uh, his mind, Windblade kind of pleads with Bumblebee to try to remember the location of the Ark, which uh, should be on, on Earth. And Bumblebee tries and he can only kind of unlock uh, a piece of his memory of the ship's launch on Cybertron. And uh, in his memory, Bumblebee is speeding towards the Ark as it's getting ready to launch and uh, his voice box is damaged, but uh, he is able to uh, to say goodbye to Windblade as um, even as a figure uh, kind of asks him or kind of prods him to come aboard aboard the Ark. So so one scrap has been unlocked basically, and it's just that 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 memory of the launch of the Ark, and and from that fragment, uh, Bumblebee remembers Windblade, and since um, uh, he recognizes her as an old friend. He's 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 happy. He's instantly kind of happy and recognize her recognizes her. But just as he recognizes Windblade, the the ship's communicator uh, goes off. It turns on, and the commander Starscream uh, demands an update from the Seekers uh, on the their progress. And Bumblebee unfortunately doesn't have a memory yet of Starscream, so he doesn't appreciate. Uh, who's on the other side of that uh, that speaker, and he jumps onto the ship's communicator and effectively blows their cover. Um, he answers Starscream, and we're left with that cliffhanger. Now Starscream knows that Bumblebee and Windblade are aboard the Seeker's ship to be continued. Okay, Bill, that was another 11 minutes. Yeah. Um, now... Are you in? How are you feeling going into uh, into what comes next with Cyberverse? We've had we've had um, twenty two minutes now. Uh, that's our review of the first two episodes. So okay, we've had we've we've had a little bit of the of Bumblebee's memories unlocked. We've had Thundercracker, Nova Storm. Um, we've had uh, Windblade being a re- kind of a badass uh, on the field of battle. And yeah. uh, we're left with a star screamer, a star scream cliffhanger. So, how are you feeling? I, you know, a little better. Uh, we, we, we at least now know that the we've got the two Decepticons on the planet, but somebody else is is in the wings. Star scream is always a good threat. Um, although I, I do have to say, if I were a new viewer, if I were a, you know a kid mm. less familiar with the franchise mm-hmm. uh, coming in on this. Uh, you don't really know who Starscream is. There's not really anything that makes him seem especially more threatening in, you know, in his his brief uh, radio contact. So I'm I'm not sure they're quite ratcheting up the tension as much as I would hope to see in the first couple of introductory episodes. Enough to, you know, pull people all the way through the series, um, and. You were saying earlier that the, the issue with the eleven-minute episodes that they, you know, that was enough for them to kind of have a a full story arc, and and that that certainly doesn't seem to be what's 
<laughs> what's happening in these early early episodes. I, I imagine that that time limit makes these these pilot episodes uh, particularly difficult uh, because it's it's hard to in that space of time provide enough clues and enough uh, action to drive the story forward and keep people you know pushing into the, the plot for the next thing. Yeah, that you know that is a great point. That um, that these aren't written. That you're right. The first, at least the first two episodes, they aren't they aren't written as eleven minute uh, stories. Um, they do feel they do feel like they are kind of chopped up. And, and I, I would assume that it's going to get a little better at that as we go after they've done this kind of table setting and mm-hmm. uh, world building. That 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 will get um, self contained uh, stories uh, sooner than later. And I and I. I also completely agree that there is a um, it's tough. I know it's hard for them to um, to kind of let uh, to not it's hard for them to not take 30 years of knowledge uh, for granted. Um, and you kind of have to like uh, separate yourself from that. And yeah, it, uh, with Starscream, even just a um, you know, you may argue that this kind of gives away the mystery of it, but even if in within that story, if you had kind of an ominous shot of Starscream on the other side of that communication, yeah, uh, just to get to make give him kind of a kind of a scary or imposing uh, presence, um, that would have helped a lot. So, thanks everybody for listening to this extended version of the minicast. Bill and I had a couple episodes to. Uh, to take you through. So it's a little bit longer than usual. Uh, before we go, I do want to remind everybody that you can support this show and every show at tfradio.net by going to tfradio.net and clicking the Amazon link, doing your Amazon shopping through that uh, or tfradio.net slash Amazon. Uh, you'll support the show with a little bit of your Amazon purchases going towards, towards us. And you can also support us by wearing one of our shirts. So you can go to shirtsickle.com. That's like popsicle, but shirts. And you can find the TF Radio store there. There's about 10 designs, small to 5XL, very accommodating. And they look and feel as good in person as they do on the website. They're made by the trusted guys at Pro Wrestling Tees. They make thousands of shirts every month. So you can be assured that these are the the highest quality. And you support the show by wearing a a great-looking shirt. Uh, Also, before we go... Bill, I would like you to tell everybody about your writing and where they can find you online. All right. Well, uh, my name is William Ray on the books, but uh, my friends call me Bill. So uh, when you're looking for me, don't forget to look under William Ray. But you can find me on Amazon. Uh, I also have a website, BaronEmpire.com, B-E-R-I-N Empire.com. and I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, my books are sort of a, a fantasy series called Tales of the Baron Empire. Uh, the first one is Gedland, which was uh, nominated as one of the best books of 2016 by uh, Kirkus Reviews. Uh, it's a bit like uh, if Sauron had been facing off against uh, the forces of Middle Earth, but they had guns and cannons instead of just uh, you know swords and and eagles. Um, it's a bit Victorian, a bit uh, 19th century British Empire facing down against uh, an evil lich king who has uh, hordes of dark magic. And uh, the second book just came out this past fall. Uh, it's called The Great Restoration and is about a, a group of 
cultists in the same setting who are trying to bring the elves back into the world, uh, only no one else wants the elves back. <laughs> a detective has been hired to figure out why these cultists have kidnapped an engineer, and so they uh, are sorting out the, the uh, mystery. It's a bit of a noir mystery, a bit of a Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you can find both books on Amazon in paperback in Kindle and on Kindle Unlimited if you subscribe. Uh, and again, you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and even at .com, Baron Empire. Thanks, very John. Nice. Very nice. Very cool. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, so for Bill and myself, John, we will see you guys on the next RFC minicast.